Hello and welcome to the MicroSamplify podcast, a partner to the microsampling blog from Neoterics. Listen in as we hear from key thought leaders in research science and medicine testify to the powers of microsampling in their industry. I am Krista Neuber, your host for this episode of our podcast, and today we are speaking with Dr. Mo Jane an associate professor of pharmacology at UC San Diego, where he works in the Health Science Division's Center for Integrative Metabolism. Hello, Dr. Jane. Hey, Krista. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you, and welcome to the MicroSamplify podcast from Neoterics. You and your colleagues at UCSD Health Sciences are working on several COVID-19 studies, and we're excited to learn more about all that you're doing. Thank you for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure, and thank you for your time today. Before we jump into discussing your COVID-19 studies, can you give us some context by telling us about your role at UCSD and the type of research that your lab does? I believe you run the Jane Laboratory, and you also co-lead the Genetics and Metabolomics Corps. Is that correct? Yeah, no, that's absolutely correct, uh, Krista. So uh, my laboratory, as you mentioned, is based at UC San Diego in the Health Sciences Medical School uh, on the West Campus. Uh, and what our laboratory really focuses on is understanding what we term the non-genetic landscape of disease, uh, with the idea that we have a, a pretty good handle uh, through next-gen sequencing of the genetic uh, variants that predispose to disease. Uh, and this has come from millions of uh, genomic sequences that are available around the world. Uh, but we have very little understanding of the non-genetic causes of disease. Now, the issue with the non-genetic causes of disease is that these are not uh, problems that we can sequence our way out of, but rather the way we think about them is that uh, these exposures, whether they be dietary, microbiome, uh, toxicant, essentially everything in the world that you're exposed to over the course of your life, the way they influence your health and disease is through the introduction of small molecules. And so we operate uh, mass spectrometry systems that allow us to assay those molecules, uh, allow us to map those molecules back to underlying etiology, meaning understand which ones come from microbes and which ones come from diet, which molecules come from toxicants and which molecules are geographically sort of influenced, and then ultimately understand how these molecules uh, influence health and disease over time. And so this is what uh, my laboratory uh, predominantly focuses on and has for the last decade. Interesting. And I understand that you and your lab and other colleagues at UCSD have had to pivot quickly to adjust this research focus to address COVID-19. I know that our company, Neoterex, provided you and your research colleagues with our Mitra microsampling devices for remote blood collection. Can you explain how you are using the Mitra blood samples you're collecting for COVID-19 research in your lab to meet these new demands posed by the coronavirus pandemic? Absolutely. I'd be happy to. So uh, it's interesting. We actually started working with the Neoterex uh, Mitra devices several years ago. Uh, and the reason for this is we were very interested in being able to collect samples in regions of the world uh, in which refrigeration and centrifugation are, are not practical, particularly in the developing world and low-income uh, low settings, 
where we were interested in collecting blood samples for the same very reasons to understand uh, the non-genetic underpinnings of disease. Uh, and, and so at that time, we began exploring use of uh, blood spots in other similar systems that allow collection of blood and storage in ambient temperature uh, environments and then remote uh, mailing with analysis at a centralized laboratory. Uh, and at that time, we became very interested in the Mitra devices and we began optimizing this. And this was now going back about two and a half years ago when we started working with Neoterics and have been working over that interim in optimizing these systems and been having great success in doing so and have been enjoying that process. And then, as you mentioned, uh, several months ago, uh, the COVID pandemic hit worldwide uh, and we pivoted in order to be able to use these systems as part of our COVID research. Uh, and this is divided into to two basic areas. One, uh, one is collection of remote samples from individuals uh, for doing serologic testing. Uh, and this means uh, measuring IgG and IgM antibodies to the SARS-CoV-2 virus uh, as an indice for exposure and potential immunity. Uh, and then the second aspect of this is, again, going back to our metabolomics and mass spectrometry approaches, is using these devices to collect point of care and home sampling from individuals in order to uh, understand the molecules that may influence uh, risk both of uh, acquiring a COVID infection and then subsequently outcomes related to COVID infection. And I, I think the pandemic particularly highlights why it's so important to be able to have remote sampling systems. Uh, and so collecting uh, human biosamples now in centralized laboratories or in centralized phlebotomy centers is quite risky uh, given that the stay at home orders. And so being able to collect blood samples at home is absolutely essential to the uh, worldwide pandemic efforts. Uh, and so our natural um, use of these devices ha has expanded into this space as part of the COVID response. Excellent. I hadn't realized that you had been using Mitra in your lab for two years prior. So that was that was interesting to hear about. Um, yeah, no, we had been a slow process. You know, we were uh, we were developing it as sort of a, a back end application. And then obviously things accelerated over the last several months. OK, so there's there's one study in particular at UCSD that I believe is looking at assessing an antiviral drug as a potential treatment for COVID-19. Are you involved in that effort? And if so, how is the blood microsampling contributing to that to that effort? Yeah, so these efforts are just getting underway, and this is one such example, but there are a number of these efforts, both at UCSD, uh, externally within the U.S., and then abroad uh, in other countries, uh, as you're well aware, that are uh, attempting to not only understand the pathobiology of COVID-19 infection, uh, but also to examine uh, antiviral antibody, as well as many other emerging therapeutics. Um, and with regards to these studies, uh, there's a lot of interest in being able to use remote sampling again, particularly given um, the stay-at-home orders and the risk of infection, uh, and to be able to, again, assay, uh, assay both serologies as well as circulating biomarkers, whether they be metabolites and or proteins that may influence respond to certain therapies. Uh, and so we, we are involved in a number of these operations, um, again, both uh, through UCSD as well as externally uh, that are attempting to do this. Okay, and to use the blood microsampling and our volumetric absorptive microsampling technology, which we call VAMS, I think you've you've had to adjust your lab a bit. Can you give us a comparison or our, our listeners a comparison of your labs before and after 
so that we can understand how you adjusted your lab to use VAMS. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, uh, you know, thankfully, the adjustment has been uh, relatively minor uh, in that our laboratory uh, has always done a lot of high throughput handling of human biosamples, whether they be blood or urine, tissues, et cetera. And typically we handle a couple thousand samples uh, on a, over a 24 hour period. And so we've been very used to liquid handling in other systems. Uh, what we particularly enjoyed about the VAMS device was the fact that it was quite easy to handle in 96-12 format. Uh, particularly, it was quite amenable to uh, robotic liquid handling systems, uh, very rapid extraction, uh, 1D barcoding, et cetera, uh, that made it quite a bit simpler relative to other microsampling systems uh, for operating in, in large numbers. And, and so the the modifications have been relatively minor. There was optimization, optimization of course, regarding uh, extraction off the VAMS devices and whatnot. Uh, but overall, from a process perspective, it's required a minimal uh, adjustment, and this has fit very nicely within our underlying platform uh, that we've adjusted over to using of the VAMS devices. Thank you. And then I understand you're working with a really interesting initiative there at UCSD called the MicroSETA Initiative over at the UC San Diego School of Medicine. And I think they've recently started using VAMS and the, and the Mitra devices within kits that they've customized to recruit, I think they're calling them citizen scientists, um, around the world to use the devices to collect their own blood samples at home. Can you talk about that a little bit and about the SARS-CoV-2 um, antibodies that you're looking at through the MicroSETA initiative? Sure. Uh, so the MicroSETA initiative is a project um, that's led um, – by, by Rob Knight here, who's a, a professor of medicine and pediatrics and computer science at UC San Diego, uh, and is a world leader in the microbiome. And, and so initially, the MicroCetera project was born out of a number of earlier initiatives that had been operated by and run by Rob, including the American Gut Project, uh, the European Gut Project, et cetera. Uh, and by citizen science, these are projects in which individuals uh, sign up remotely for collection of human samples. Uh, typically, this had been around fecal samples from microbiome sequencing. to so again, to understand uh, microbial diversity around the world and to understand how that may influence health and disease. And so typically, uh, individuals were signing up remotely over a website. Uh, a fecal kit was sent to them by which they would collect a fecal sample. Uh, these would be analyzed in a central laboratory after being mailed back. Uh, and there's a questionnaire that goes along with it that allows us to help individuals understand their own individual microbiome and, again, how that may be optimized for human health. Uh, and then, as with so many cases, we were very interested in the use of these Mitra devices to add blood sampling at the same time that fecal samples were being collected. And so, again, there's been discussions for, for doing this along with uh, Microsetta and Rob, who's a close colleague and friend. Uh, and this would allow us to measure not only microbes that were present in the stool, but also the secondary metabolites that are made by these, by these microbes uh, and that are introduced into human circulation and may play a role in influencing how these microbes affect health and disease over time. And so uh, initially we were quite excited in the use of microsampling systems that would allow us to assay microbial derived molecules. Uh, and that's why these uh, devices were introduced into the microsetic kits. As you mentioned, uh, with the COVID-19 pandemic, um, there's a lot of interest in understanding how the microbiome may influence uh, risk of developing infection as well as response to the underlying infection. Uh, and there's a, a decent amount of evidence in, in the literature that microbes with 
within the gut and the secondary molecules that these microbes make can have profound influence on your response to viral infection. Uh, and so in the same way, our lab has pivoted, the microsetter project has slightly pivoted, uh, not only to measure microbes in the gut, but, but also to be able to understand how these may influence risk of uh, SARS-CoV-2 infection. And so this is a really exciting project. Uh, it's a worldwide initiative that's directed by Rob uh, and should provide some really very uh, key insights into understanding the microbiome uh, and microbial-derived molecules in health. I'll be really interested to read the results because I did read about a woman who presented at hospital with some kind of a gut infection, which did in fact turn out to be coronavirus or a COVID-19 case. And they didn't initially interpret it as such because yeah, it presented right. as an intestinal issue. Yeah, that's absolutely right. It's estimated that 15 to 20 percent of individuals that present with COVID-19 don't have classic fever and cough, but have secondary sequela that may include GI upset, diarrhea, uh, nausea, vomiting, etc. cetera. Uh, and the thought is um, the infection uh, and the SARS-CoV-2 virus is actually quite present and prevalent within the GI tract and can infect the, the gut epithelial cells. And so there's been a number of publications just in the last month demonstrating this. Um, and, and through the infection of those uh, epithelial cells, the lining of the gut, they can influence gut health and alter the microbiome itself. That's so interesting. Now, you mentioned a lot of collaborators, and it's my understanding that you're working with a lot of external groups and you have a lot of external interest in everything that you're doing. Can you talk at all about some of the collaborators you're working with outside of UCSD? Yeah, much of what myself and, and a number of other folks uh, working together as part of the Microsetter project do is, is work with external entities um, who are quite interested in the same questions and doing this as a, as a consortium-based uh, program. Uh, and so there's a number of entities uh, that we've spoken to and that we're working closely with. There are individuals at the NIH and particularly the division of NIEHS, which is the Environmental Health Section of uh, NIH. Uh, to understand what we call the exposome and how that may influence uh, SARS uh, infection or SARS-CoV-2 infection. Uh, there are foreign um, uh, government organizations, uh, particularly in Canada, in Italy, uh, and even now in India, that we're very much in discussions with uh, to help them uh, as part of their ongoing COVID-19 efforts to be able to assay blood uh, for serology assays, as well as for understanding of metabolites and microbes. And then there's other state organizations, uh, both in California and external to California, that are obviously quite interested in being able to sample large aspects of the population uh, in order to um, keep an eye on seroprevalence, uh, meaning that those individuals that demonstrate uh, IgG antibodies to SARS over time. Uh, and so we're aiding in, in those efforts. Uh, it seems almost daily this is changing in a positive way in which there have been more and more individuals who have been more and more excited to work together for a common good. Um, and, and we've been really quite uh, happy to be part of these endeavors. It's been really exciting to see that in the scientific community and the medical community, actually. Speaking of which, you are both an MD and a PhD, I believe. And I believe you once practiced as a cardiologist, if not currently, and I'm wondering if, if as a clinician who cares for patients and someone who also runs an analytical laboratory, um, do you feel that one sort of lends itself to the other in how you, um, how you're handling these projects that you're directing? 
That's a great question. It's a complicated answer. Um, as you mentioned, I, I was trained formally uh, as a clinician. I, I trained as a cardiologist, and I absolutely uh, love uh, cardiology and medicine and, and taking care of patients and learning to take care of patients. It was really one of the most exciting aspects of my professional life. Uh, admittedly, uh, as my laboratory has gotten busier and, and my personal life has gotten busier, my wife's also a professor. We have two small young children. Uh, I learned the hard way that there's only so many hours in a day. Uh, and I've had to give some aspects of my professional career up, including uh, seeing patients directly, uh, which has always um, been a, a tough thing to do. But it's it's been important and allowed us to have some degree of work-life balance, uh, as well as to allow our, our academic endeavors and my research laboratory to grow. Uh, and I, I absolutely would like to think that having been trained in clinical medicine uh, allows me to see problems in a slightly different light. Uh, and I'm very uh, excited about the MD-PhD track. We have a number of individuals from the laboratory, as well as other folks that I mentor, that I, um, you know, try to express my excitement for the track. It certainly is a, a long training period, uh, and uh, there's much delayed gratification along the track. But uh, what I will say is, um, if you're able to make it through, it really provides you a very different perspective on the world and allows you to ask very different questions. Um, and my corollary for that is my, my wife's a Ph.D. scientist who's uh, far better trained and, and far smarter than I am. And it's uh, it's also interesting to see how we will approach the same problem scientifically from two very different lenses. And I and I suspect a, a lot of that has to do with the fact that uh, I spent a good portion of my life uh, training medically, uh, whereas um, she spent a very good portion of her life um, training in very fundamental science. Interesting. So from research bench to patient bedside, back to research bench. <laughs> well, that's exactly right. And you know, what I like to think is most of the questions that we approach in the lab, uh, even though they may be very fundamental around chemistry and human diversity and understanding health from a very fundamental level, really are all uh, fundamentally based in human disease biology. And so if uh, we can't understand how this will influence human health and disease over time, it tends to be less interesting or exciting for us. And so I hope we can, um, th those training years and the grueling uh, blood, sweat, and tears has had some positive influence on life. <laughs> Excellent. I want to ask you if you think I've missed anything that you'd like to share with our audience about microsampling and your work at UCSD, perhaps about how your lab is unique from other labs, or if it has any special services or features you'd like to mention. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and I think there's a couple aspects of our lab that make them unique. And, and for one, uh, we, I've been incredibly fortunate to work with just, uh, people who are, are, are remarkable individually, uh, both in their talents and their ability to work together to solve really large problems, uh, to develop new technologies and then deploy them in, in very fundamental questions. Uh, and I, I think our laboratory, just given the way it's designed, is very excited to work with others. And so the vast majority of what we do is outward facing in that we have this very unique tool in which we can do very high throughput mass spec analysis of thousands of blood samples a day. Um, we have a very large repository of human chemistry and human blood for which we've analyzed. Uh, and this lends itself very much to collaboration with other entities around the world. And so at any given time, we have two to three dozen projects uh, that are ongoing with investigators uh, around the world. And when I first started my laboratory, I'm, I'm not sure I planned it, Way, but it really has become, I think, the crux of what we do 
has been really open collaboration with the scientific community and being able to work with clinicians who are at the front line collecting samples, whether they be of COVID-19 patients or individuals in the developing world uh, and know disease and, and know their individual disease areas better than we will ever. And at the same time, we can lend high-throughput chemistry uh, and really uh, complex computational analysis to their individual problems and work seamlessly together. And these are the types of projects and relationships that, you know, wake me up in the morning and, and keep me excited to go to work. Uh, I think being able to do this with microsampling, in my opinion, is going to be transformative for the world. I would be surprised in a decade from now if anyone goes to a phlebotomist and has a blood draw. Um, those are my own personal opinions. Obviously, I have no evidence for this, but those are my personal opinions. And, and we found, like with many individuals, the vast majority of things can be well assayed and well measured in a very robust manner uh, using uh, microsampling systems. Uh, and once again, this removes the need to have healthcare providers and, and close contact um, and allows for sampling for areas in the world for which refrigeration and centrifugation are not uh, all that sort of uh, feasible. Uh, and so that's what makes our laboratory uh, sort of a unique, I believe. And, and we are always looking for additional folks to work with. Um, and our barometer for working together is simply if they're good people uh, with good samples and great questions, we're excited to uh, jump in together and, and, and find a way in which we can collaborate for the, for the betterment of science. And so uh, that's been our approach to life and it's worked so far. And uh, we're excited to continue that process. And so if there's other individuals out there, laboratories, other centers, et cetera, that are interested in, in learning about our experience. We're very open and, and happy to uh, sort of share our experience with microsampling systems, including the VAMS device. Uh, we have a, a tremendous amount of data that's in the open uh, sort of community that people can access and, and look at if they're interested. Um, and, and we're happy to sort of uh, continue these relationships as long as they may remain productive. And so I would encourage anyone who's interested to, to just openly reach out to us. And our, our lab website is found on the UCSD web uh, as well as can be Googled. And for any of our listeners, we will provide um, a URL so that they can directly reach your lab or you if, if they're interested in, in a collaboration. That sounds great. Thank you, Krista. Okay. Thank you, Dr. Jane, for taking the time to speak with us today about your research at UCSD in the Jane Laboratory. All of us at Neoterex are extremely excited about the work you're doing, and we're happy to support your efforts. So thank you for your time today. Thank you so much, Kristen. And I really have to say, I thank Neoterex. They've been an incredible partner. Um, I, I think they're doing uh, really remarkable work in, in aiding in so much in the COVID-19 response. And so I congratulate your leadership on just excellent efforts, and uh, we're excited to continue uh, working together uh, towards these common goals. Great. Thank you. And thanks to our audience for listening to this episode of the Microsamplify podcast, a partner to the microsampling blog from Neoterrix.